What's up, everyone? I'm Zach, your host of the Auxoro podcast, The Voice of Music. And this week, we sat down with R. Lamar, a man of many influences. R. Lamar has explored sounds from Porter Robinson and Linkin Park to Fleet Boxes and Anita Baker. As R. Lamar says, no one exists who is not the sum of all of their influences. And the journey of his artistry and influences is apparent in the music that he makes. What started on six strings has evolved into a beautiful synergy of the organic, the electronic, and the soul. In this episode, we discuss the power of empathy, the cloak of genre, super rich kids, the isolation of tour life, and more. But before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about our recent initiative, Support a Cause, that started last week with Shalu. Going forward, Auxora will be supporting various causes and foundations alongside the interviews that we release. This week, R. Lamar and the Auxora team are asking for your help in supporting two causes. The Allied Coalition, an organization that takes action for LGBTQ equality, and Music Cares, who provide a safety net of critical assistance for music people in times of need. You can find links to support both of these causes in the episode description of this podcast. Thank you for making a difference. Now, without further ado, here's our conversation with R. Lamar. Oh, and I apologize in advance for my singing voice. I may have flexed a little bit. If I could find you now, things would get better. That was good. That was good. dumb question but are we recording okay yeah, we okay perfect. <laughs> all the red lights are on that's awesome that's, good, uh, that's what that means generally all right cool i know you are into linking park linking park has been a huge influence on you has, just as it has been it's on the way here yeah yeah so perfect transition I swear we didn't talk about this beforehand but i have a <laughs> quote from chester bennington and he says that asking someone to describe what something sounds like is like telling a blind person to guess what I look what like. Color is. Yeah. And so for your benefit, I'm not going to ask you to describe what you sound like because Shout that would just to be you. torturous. Thank you. <laughs> um, but you've had so many influences like mm. Linkin Park, the Warped Tour scene, John Mayer, Anita yeah. Baker, even talk about Porter Robinson. Yeah. How have these range of influences inspired sort of the, the journey of your artistry? How have these influences kind of helped your own artistry evolve? That's a cool, that's a, very insightful question, which is tight. Sometimes it's like a bummer when you get get to interviews and it's like, so uh, how do you say your name? I'm like, yeah. Jesus Cross out your next question. Uh, boy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wait, so it's not r.1.r? Oh, okay, uh, boy. That was my second. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the range of uh, art and things that I'm into and things that I listen to. And uh, my favorite thing about it is that it just like music kind of becomes this like sort of universal language. The the cloak and the dressing of whatever genre it's in doesn't really matter. And that's the one thing that I think, that's the reason why people I think ask that question is because it kind of confuses them. Because it's not like, oh, he used to play classical, classical guitar, fingerstyle stuff, but he also used to play, 
R&B, but he also comes from the Warped Tour scene, and he can talk with you about Pierce the Veil as much as he can talk to you about John Williams, the guitarist, not the composer. You know what I'm saying? And for some reason, that that's confusing, but it makes the most sense to me that to find the commonality between all these areas, like what is the thing that, what is that common thread that makes them all make sense to me or mm-hmm. all make sense to you or whatever? Because like the most, <clears throat> most time, if you ask anybody on the street what kind of music they listen to, I'd say eight out of 10 people is going to say, oh, I listen to everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, why do they listen to everything? Because the common thread is expression. And I think the the theme under the expression is the empathy. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> what is it like to be another person? It's the same reason people read books, same reason they read movies, that you put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You, li- you, you live first person through another another person. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We, and <clears throat> and we that's all, what I feel for all of that stuff. And we all gravitate towards things that sound good, but then- our society puts labels on the certain areas of music and you don't necessarily identify with a label, but if you gravitate towards something that people identify as R&B or people identify as electronic music or EDM or jazz, I feel like the the label is secondary to the sound that you're trying to create and that the labels might make people confused, like what you were saying, like, oh, you, you don't fit yeah. in this lane that... Uh, we identify as this and it like crosses over into this. But when you strip away the labels, it's all just things that sound good to you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and messages that I feel like resonate with me is I think the, the um, more, I guess, appropriate thing to say, not that what you said was inappropriate, but I'm very inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, uh, yeah, it's definitely just things, things that messages that resonate with me, you know, Mm -hmm. just, honesty and i think people resonate with that honesty we were talking in the car <laughs> about chester and and um, other people who have uh kind of who people who we've lost through the kind of how wild music has been and how much yeah, it's been a lot been and all that stuff but <clears throat> one thing i think that all those people had in common is that they were just all really authentically them you know yeah. and that was the reason why everybody liked them and why everything felt so resonant i think with them and the way their their audiences reacted uh, when we lost them you can see that so when you're pulling on these influences do you feel like it's uh, you're you're pulling from different pockets of genres or different pockets of creativity or is it more like you're just the sum total of everything that's influenced you and then Lamar comes out of that i don't think anybody isn't the sum totals of things that influence them. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> I don't, I definitely, I mean, I don't sit down and like, oh, wow, like I'm going to make a thing that's going to play with an orchestra today, or I'm going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think that is really the point. And I think that would be you kind of putting on a costume in a sense, yeah. like a genre like costume. turning off a certain part of your <laughs> yeah, for even, something. Yeah, yeah, to take that even further, totally. It's like, it would be turning off a certain influence of yourself. And I think that, is dishonest in a sense. And as a, as a creative and as a person who is like trying to express something first person, I think it would be disingenuous. I think it'd be like irresponsible. There's a, there's a certain creative responsibility you have when you like have an audience and people listening and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that responsibility is honesty, you know, and it would be disingenuous for me to actively try to like turn out and put on like a genre costume or something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Genres are only helpful for like finding out what stuff you want to find in a, in a 
radio store or something, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. A record store or something. And I feel like it could backfire on you too. Cause then say you are putting on this disingenuous persona or sound and then it blows yeah, up yeah, and then you you're gotta, like, oh, yeah, fuck, you gotta, like, gotta I do gotta that. Stay like this now, like this is me. Like <laughs> we're playing Red Rocks, but I hate these songs. Yeah, I hate myself you know? inside. You don't want that. It was both ways. Sorry to drink on the microphone. I know this. No, nah, I was just doing that. We were drinking yeah. at the same time. Yeah, so, so it was like d- dead air. We'll, I definitely don't. We'll, I definitely don't want this. We'll to turn synchronize our our uh, weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, so taking time. taking things back a little bit. What are some early formative memories of music that stick out to you, even before you understood the full ramifications of? the art of music and musical theory and things like that, like just experiencing music. What are some of the earliest memories that stick out? Uh, definitely listen to uh, the stuff that my mother was playing around the house. You referenced Anita Baker earlier. That's definitely a thing. Um, a lot of Bill Evans, some Dave Brubeck. For me, I remember a big thing was George Benson because mm-hmm. listening to some of those recordings, like this masquerade or on Broadway or whatever. And being like, oh, cool. Like the guitar player sounds really cool. I'd be like, oh, cool. The singer sounds really cool. My mother would be like, mm-hmm. that's the same person. I'm like, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way that's the same guy. <laughs> like you're allowed you to know? do that? Yeah. <laughs> Is that possible, bro? Like, but then, you know, you kind of research, you dig, and, just, and then you see videos of him singing the solos and playing them. And like, yo, this is wild. I want to try that, you know? And mm, early listening experiences, I definitely remember listening to like Erica Badu's first record, you yeah. know, and like, oh, on and on. And like, you know, is that her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but this guy, the flattery, I love this yeah. guy. That's how you get to get. If I close my eyes. That's how you get to be a host. There you go. <clears throat> but, you know, you hear that stuff kind of floating through the hallways and the sandalwood incense is burning and, you know, you know, it's time to clean the house and, and whatnot. Those mm-hmm. are kind of just like rote memories that I come up with. But that stuff always kind of soundtracked, uh, soundtracked my life. What made you want to go beyond just listening and being inspired by those sounds and to trying to create those sounds on your own? I think, uh, well, the, the first band that made me want to play guitar, because I thought the guitar stuff was so cool, was Coheed and Cambria, mm-hmm. because he, uh, <laughs> off, I wish I could have seen, I wish there was like a camera, a, a video element to this, because my man over here running the microphones looked at me and was like, what? You know, but um, he's burning to say something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just found that stuff so interesting, and that and the high concept of it all. I thought it was, I thought it was really mm-hmm. interesting. I was thinking about like space, and there was this like epic, epic intergalactic love story and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool, uh, but I was a big nerd when I was a kid. Uh, considering our video game conversation, I suppose I have not grown out of that. <laughs> yeah, but, we had a 45-minute conversation about video games before this. Well, maybe we'll release it as another podcast. Uh, 45 is, is ambitious. That, it's stretching it. It's 45 it. is ambitious, okay, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I could go there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that was probably my earliest, like, oh, I want to play a guitar. I think this is cool. Mm-hmm. And as far as just like playing shows and stuff, I mean, this is going to sound, I remember uh, so listening to some of the other podcasts and that you guys have done and hearing some oh, <laughs> other things so that much. other people would say, especially yeah. like what Phineas would say about it just sort of being serendipitous in the whole journey, yeah. kind of unfolding before me, these kind of, these things kind of like fall out from the song sort yeah. of fall out. And I mean, that's how it happens for me. And I was the same way in, in our scene um, back in Bradenton, Florida, shout out to Bradenton, Sarasota as a nine for a one boy, but <clears throat> 
just there was a lot of venues and there were a lot of bands and there was a lot of stuff happening. Under Oath is from that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Burden of a Day. Um, what is the other band across the um, across the way from Melbourne? Um, is it uh, Yellow uh, Cards from? Oh, the Yellow Cards yeah. is from up north. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I could find you now. Yeah, we did it. Oh, my man hit the harmony. Yeah, What's up? Right. <laughs> so we just, I didn't. I didn't rehearse that. <laughs> Practicing that just in case it happened. Just letting you know that's <laughs> yeah. that's that's improv. Just letting yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> All morning he was singing. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Just predicted that one joke. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, we definitely. Um, we definitely were influenced by all those cats that were, were doing stuff in the scene. Mm-hmm. And so it just felt like a natural extension. Everybody was writing songs and doing the band thing. So um, I just started writing songs in high school about like girls that didn't like me and stuff, yeah. you know, and wanting that stuff and just how I felt. Cause I spent, you know, I spent a lot of time alone as a kid. I spent a lot of time just like kind of in my own world. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I, you know, wanted to share that. I suppose it was never this like, Oh, you should, Oh, you should like, oh my God, I want to be like a rock star. I was just like, I felt I had a guitar. I felt like I had stuff to say. And so I said. Yeah. And I, I was reading a little bit on how you started on the acoustic guitar and you yeah. had teachers that were very influential in your life. I think his name was David. Uh, no, Doug Seth. Doug Seth. Seth. Yeah, sorry. Doug Seth. Doug Seth. Show us you doing the, 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 the research. Yeah, though. we try. Love it. Um, <laughs> and you mentioned that uh, like spending that alone time and not being on the huge popular side of, of school mm-hmm. when you're growing up. And when you were first learning the acoustic guitar, spending a lot of time by yourself in your house, playing around with the guitar, just trying to like experiment with the sound. How do you think alone time has been important to your growth as an artist, but, and also as a person, because I yeah. myself hasn't, haven't fully come to appreciate alone time <clears throat> until recently. Cause yeah. it's, it's a hard thing to sit with your own thoughts and just like yeah. be there. Yeah. It seems it's, and it's it's good that I feel like you introduced it that way because I feel like you're implying the the reality of the of of how it's like a double edged sword. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. There's definitely a uh, and a thing that I have noticed in myself. There's definitely a threshold after which alone time is not healthy for me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think a lot of people who are uh, like uh, I don't want to use the wrong word here, but I feel like creative will suffice because I don't have a better word at my disposal right now. But I I will also, I'll caveat that by saying that I think that most things in life are creative. If you're making decisions, if you're making choices, if you have to to do something and create something from nothing, it's creative. You know what I'm saying? You can be just as creative of a mechanic or something in a position that people generally see as a lot more pedestrian than than what they would perceive as like a Picasso or a quote unquote artist or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if you're a creative person who I believe most people are, you know, you're going to need some time alone to just like think and sort out your thoughts. There are certain, certain people that I feel like are more extroverted and kind of can, you know, rally off of other people's energy and move with other people and like kind of constantly need to be sort of immersed in that. And sometimes for those people, it's like uh, the alone time is a lot is more damaging. You know what I'm saying? But for me, I definitely know I'm a person who need like needs a, like a bit of, of both. And I've kind of trained myself to be that way because of my profession and the way that things have sort of unfolded mm-hmm. for me that, you know, you spend a lot of time and I, and I'm grateful to my audience and I want to want to spend time with them and I want to, you know, talk to everybody after the show as, as, as much as I can before the threshold of like losing my voice for the next show. You know what I'm saying? But back to the alone time thing, 
I, yeah, I, I spent a ton of time by myself. I, I still do, you know? And, uh, through that, I think it's, it's been a journey. The beginning of it was just like, it was kind of forced upon me, you know? And then through sort of the middle and the muddiest, murkiest parts of it, you know, you get like, oh, well, like, why doesn't, why won't anybody spend any time? Like, why don't other people want to be around me? You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? <laughs> but then you get to a point where it's like, oh, I want to be around me. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. and me being by myself is like, I can be satisfied with that. But then, then I feel like the next step in that journey, and that's probably where I'm at right now, is realizing like, oh, it's great to spend time by yourself, but like interacting with other people is, is really good and helping, helping them like try to get out of their own heads and get out of their own space, you know, mm-hmm. and feel seen and feel respected and feel heard and, and whatnot is, is really a part of it. The whole like alone time thing is, it's really trippy. It's it is. A, it's a, it's a thing that it's definitely a thing that I, that I, that I don't think in, in society, like in the way that with advertising and that stuff, I don't think we're taught enough that like, Oh, it's like, it's okay to spend some time well, by yourself. I, like you're not a loser if you're not posting pictures from Cabo and yeah, the Bahamas every- I think Instagram a lot of the can. marketing around alone time associates being alone with loneliness, which isn't yeah. always true. Mm. Like I, I grew up in the heavy world of sports and I was always surrounded by people doing activities. I didn't have a lot of that alone time until I, I started practicing- meditation in the mornings about a year ago and that really made me see the value of spending time alone in my own thoughts because before then I'd always associated being alone with being lonely and like if I wasn't Mm -hmm. constantly around my friends if I wasn't you know practicing a sport or playing in a game or like doing something at night in a group of people there Mm -hmm. was something wrong with that yeah and then once I started to sit alone with my own thoughts the things that are kind of the most important started to to creep up or like yeah. my insecurities, my biggest insecurities yeah. started to creep up and there's no way to escape from your own thoughts. So you either yeah. have to push them away or just like kind of objectively uh, observe them without necessarily reacting without to them. Judging them yeah, yeah, judging just yourself, like, okay, yeah. like I'm insecure about this. Like that's, that's fine. Yeah. And I'm, and, and, and more so like, what can I do about it? And is there something that has to be done about it? Yeah. Or am I the person to do something about it? Do I need to speak to somebody about this? Do I need to just talk to a friend? Do I need some sort of professional involvement? Do I, yeah. you know what I mean? All of those things, like, so much of that is, like, shame. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And sh- shame is such, like, a dangerous, like, ugly thing on one hand. But on the other hand, that shame is, like, you can see it as an identifier. You can mm-hmm. see it as, like, a, like, there's a, there's a thing. I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like I maybe made this up, but... I do always think this thing. That's fine. I, I make a lot a of lot. things up. So <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Improv, right? Yeah. There you go. That's called a callback, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> that's comedy. Um, but I mean, I, a thing that I that will often think is that fear just means you care. Fear is something that mm. that is. If you're afraid of something, it just means you really, really care. That doesn't mean that like you are a bad person or you're scared because you're worthless or you're scared, you know, all these things that you can very automatically kind of knee jerk believe and like assert because you feel some sense of what's happening, Uh," you know, some sense of like apprehension about something. And those thoughts can be really like triggering in in that sense. Like, Oh oh no, I can't be alone. Am I a loser? Because everybody doesn't want to hang out with me. I mean, maybe it's a Wednesday and everybody's got to work. I don't know. Yeah. There can very, very easily a lot of times be practical, uh, uh, very just kind of practical pedestrian, logical reasons for the ways that 
that you feel the way you feel. And I don't think we're really taught to like, especially as men, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause we're, you know, the conversation here is be- between three gentlemen, I suppose. Uh, I, I, I don't know how y'all like identify and whatnot, but three gentlemen. Yes. Three gentlemen. Okay, great. Excellent. Thanks for uh, going there with me. But yeah, it's bet- between three people. And I, I remember you were talking a, a little bit about the kind of s- sports and that environment. Yeah. I can get, uh, the, this could be a whole nother conversation about like toxic masculinity and things that I also support, like think about a lot, but <clears throat> Being on your own and being with your thoughts is good, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Thesis statement. I'm just going to wrap yeah. that up by saying that. Boy, I'll go forever. I think about this stuff so much. But yeah, and especially in the sports culture, there's, there's definitely a, a toxic element to the, the masculinity, which, like you said, it could be an entire conversation mm-hmm. on. Because so much is seen as weakness, yeah. you know? Yeah. Being alone, being by yourself is seen as, can be seen as weakness. It's exactly. Ugly. Going back to what you said too about the there you go reel the, this in <laughs> yeah the cre- the creative the creative spectrum segue um, even people like uh, I think you were you mentioned uh, accountants or uh, people in finance ba- basically like the anti creative mm-hmm. what people consider the anti creative there's still elements of creativity in what they do like if you're a person that's making projections for a company you still have to like design that spreadsheet and like put all this thing into it and mm-hmm. think about it. And that spreadsheet's you in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, even though, you know, there's a, a spectrum, you're not a music artist on stage making a living off of your creativity in a direct sense. You're, me, you might've been hired for other reasons, but mm-hmm. there's still a threshold of creativity that you have to cross for anything that comes into existence totally. from your ideas. It's problem solving. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, it it's definitely like something that I've seen. I, I, I was in business school at Richmond and it, there was a, a lack of creativity and sort of the, the curriculum, the school-based learning. But then once you get out into the, the real world, there are all these things that you have to make creative decisions every single day that you're not necessarily taught to in a business school environment. Totally. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Bradenton, Florida. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out Bradenton. When people think of Florida, they think retirement, they think beaches, <laughs> they think all of these things. That, and I'm speaking as someone who's been to Florida a select few times to play mm-hmm. baseball and um, hang out with some friends that live down there. And yeah. you talk about being in Bradenton, being in a place that is almost in a lot of ways, it sounds like a juxtaposition because you're right next to Venice beach and very affluent areas, but then you're from Mm -hmm. a place where, you know, a lot of shitty things go on with gangs and people getting into trouble. And it seems like there's an environment where there's two things side by side. And I didn't come from a place like that. I came from Long Island, very suburban middle-class. I didn't grow up next to that dichotomy. And that informs my worldview, just like it informs your worldview where you came from. How do you think Growing up in that uh, dichotomy, that that just juxtaposition, has influenced the way that you see the world, or maybe um, some of the biases, the inherent things that we all yeah. have. Yeah, that definitely goes back. Well, let's take a second to just shout out to the to the to the 
to the man here for <laughs> to like in being so self-aware that like you understand that you know you come from a certain place and that informs the way you see things and that is like never the way this conversation usually starts so that is very cool yeah i feel like i <laughs> so everyone's always unpacking the things that they grow up around and like yeah. re- realizing some of the rights and the wrongs that their own biases informed as you're growing up totally looking back on it yeah so i mean yeah we're bradenton is was was uh not definitely not a place of affluence uh and we grew up even closer than uh venice beach was sarasota you know you go south on 41 and you know you start seeing the houses get bigger you start you get down to like siesta key you get down to marina jack and all the Mm -hmm. stuff you start seeing all the boats and and uh thinking man, these, these folk live, folks live differently out here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even uh, there was a point at which, and I guess only my like Bradenton people will really know this, but there was a point where like East Bradenton was Bradenton and then it became uh, Lakewood Ranch. Like they're so rich out there that they just bought- That just sounds rich, like Lakewood yeah, right, Ranch. Right, right. They just, they're so rich out there that they just, they uh, built schools, they built a hospital, they built a police, like, and just sectioned themselves off. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> which was like, yo, that was, that was, that was the thing that was like, oh, yo, like we can't go hang out in, in the East anymore. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we got to stay in like Rabonia and Oniko. <laughs> like, yeah. Cause these people over here straight up don't want us over there anymore. You know what I'm saying? Which was wild. Um, but yeah, there was, there was growing up around like kind of adjacent to people with a lot of money was, was interesting because, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up and, I wasn't really like, I don't think I, I, I wasn't really taught that we had a lot of opportunity or uh, we had the chance to kind of grow above that. I'm not from a musical family, not really from like an affluent family. I don't know. Uh, and again, that's why I feel like I'm trying to be so like conscious and present and like grateful to the audience because I know people from Bradenton who didn't make it out. You know what I'm saying? I know mm-hmm. people who didn't make it out of high school. You know what I'm saying? In a, in a lot of ways. Um, so I, it's it's definitely, uh, those experiences have definitely like shaped my worldview in a way that like, I understand how lucky I am with all this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not like, you know, doing stadiums or whatever, but it's dope to be able to come to New York City and, do a podcast with some people who I guess probably discovered me on like the internet or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Which is wild. Cause we didn't, I didn't even have a smartphone until I was like 21 and in college and bought shout, it myself. Yeah, shout you know out what to, what uh, to Spotify hey, discovery playlist. I lit. think it was like uh, listening to something on the, the relevant release or whatever it's called. The releases, recent releases. Recent yeah. releases yeah. You popped up. Turn like, up. Fuck. Oh, I was like, oh, God, that's awesome. Hey, <laughs> yeah, this guy, uh, he sings, uh, he sings yeah. nice. He sings almost as good as I sing yellow card. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> my man is really trying to get the yeah. backup singer job. <laughs> but yeah, it's def- it definitely informed my my worldview um, in a way that like we were growing up and, you know, I just saw my boys in the streets or whatever. And that's just what we did. Like we were just mm-hmm. running around doing whatever. But at the same time, I was kind of just like dorky and lonely. And like, I just wanted to play with my Yu-Gi-Oh cards and be chubby and be left alone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so I feel like I I didn't really fit in to a lot of that. So again, going back to the like spending time on your own in a, in a way, spending all that time by myself kind of saved me. I feel like you know what I'm saying because I would just be sitting there reading books and on 
<laughs> on cobalt and calcium. Do you yeah. remember cobalt and calcium? The the message board for Cohen Cambria? Okay. No. I do not. Blank looks around the room. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Matt, Matt, what did I do? No idea. Okay, great. Cool. Still, still a big old <laughs> loser. Big fan. Um, but yeah, I just, I would just, like I said, I, I would spend some of that time alone. I was afraid of like running in the streets and like doing some of the stuff that, that they were doing. So I would purposely yeah. like stay at the after school programs in middle school. Yeah. Or shout out to Harley middle on ninth street. A, <laughs> but I, one thing I love about podcasts is that we get to tell those jokes that like, there's going to be some person listening gonna be by listening, themselves, yeah. like in their oh, AirPods, <laughs> riding the M cat or the S cat. And Brainton is going to be like, yo, he's talking to me. But then everybody else, everyone, your other listeners is going to have to Google it, which is yeah. really funny. <laughs> But, but uh, yeah, I think I think growing up in those places uh, definitely made me understand affluence and like just be like seeing it outside in and wanting to just like really gutturally kind of want to be a part of that because like all that stuff, all the shine, all the money and all that stuff, like it, it looks great. <clears throat> but you go to the same high schools as some of these people, like I went to uh, Manchester School for the Arts and the very local shout out. <laughs> and that was in Palmetto, which was uh, across the bridge and not in Bradenton or Sarasota, but it was a charter school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they had really, really rich kids. Um, super rich kids. So the super richers, a nice <laughs> shout out. Start my day up on the roof. Uh, I didn't practice that one. So I'm not <laughs> nah, you're good. It's all improv. It's cool. But we had the really, like, really, really affluent people and their parents and, and all that stuff. And then we had people like from uh, where I was from and just seeing all of us intermingling and understanding like, that's like, that's such a good example. Oh my God. I'm so glad you said you brought up that Frank Ocean example, because that story is so beautifully written about how like the, the affluence doesn't mean everything. And that was yeah. one thing I, I really learned from these kids is like, these kids like, yeah, you get the, the Bentley when you're 16. Yeah. You, you crash it. get And that's like a real thing. Like kids were getting Bentleys. Yeah. Like, $100,000 base model. You feel me? <laughs> like kids were driving up to school and stuff like that. And I was like taking the city bus and, and all that or whatever. But you meet these kids and go to their houses and like meet their parents on all this stuff. And, and again, this is, this is like a trope. This is not a thing that is universal. All right. So I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like all these kids that grew up with money are lonely, vapid people, but that's a real thing that really mm-hmm. happens. And these kids were, and I remember some of them just being like, we want to come in. We want to come and hang at your house. Like we want to go and just like sit and play guitar and like learn Green Day covers or whatever, and just do regular stuff. Yeah. We don't want to go to IMG and play tennis for six hours after school, like yeah. because that's a thing you're supposed to do. You know, like they don't want to do that stuff. So, a thing I definitely learned after getting uh, exposed to things beyond the like money and and whatnot of it all. It's like, they're just normal people whose stuff happens to, and then they're just reacting and doing their best to react in ways that they think are appropriate, yeah. just like everybody else mm-hmm. is. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's definitely a stigma, even though not m- most people are not like the kids in the super rich kids song. Like I'm, I'm sure like everyone has a, and their own individual experience, but there's Too definitely a stigma. Like, these wines yeah, everyone, you, it's like, you have all of this. What do you have to be sad about? And it's Perfect. just like exactly. people like it can't replace. Everyone has the, the same innate, you know, primal desires to, to be happy and be fulfilled to and be seen. to be yeah. seen. Yeah. And the spectrum that you're on, it shifts, but that desire stays the same. On I both sides. So. Yeah. And you were talking about 
not playing in stadiums before. <laughs> and I saw the first time that you ever played in public was in front of six girls <laughs> yeah. that came to see you <laughs> play. And and you knew Yo. most of them. But I, I think that's still... That's still wild. Shout out to Erica Dorson. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Amanda Fossum. Yeah. Emily Fossum. There's going to be up? more people that are listening to this podcast just like <laughs> yeah. screaming in public like, oh my God. Yo. Yeah. But I think that's wild even having, you know, anywhere from six to hundreds. You've played in front of thousands of people at music yeah. festivals. Yeah. And that's crazy to me to have people repeating things that you've created out of your own mind yeah. back to you if it was anything else besides music because it's so it's it, it's uh socially acceptable to sing music back to people in a in a huge space and be there for music but if you took anything else like if i was reading poetry in front of <laughs> people and then 500 people started saying it back to me i'd be like what the fuck is going on like am i in the matrix right now but wow. is there like a shock value still when you go on stage beyond just like oh this is cool like holy shit, like someone took the time to learn words that I wrote in a bedroom or a yeah. hotel room or something. Like, that's crazy to me. Yeah, that it is wild. Um, it's just cool, I think. It's cool to be a part of, I guess, looking at it as a continuum. And, if, and, I, and I'll elaborate on that after I say this. For me, part of the enjoyment of music and part of the enjoyment, I think, of, of art and any sort of creative uh, enterprise, and again, with my very broad... Uh, description or definition of what I believe creativity yeah. is, is that connection. And is that like, oh, you experience things the way I, in a, in a way similar to what I have, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that makes me feel seen. That makes my experience feel real. It makes it feel validated. It makes it feel tangible, you know, because someone else who I've never spoken to ever <laughs> is like, wow, they're like describing this, these, these experiences to me. And I've had yeah. that happen myself. Like my favorite band probably <laughs> of like, of the, at least the band that I've definitely listened to the most is the national. Mm-hmm. Maybe I all know the national, yes. but like, there's a lyric. I have only two emotions, careful fear and dead devotion that Matt Berninger sings. And I just remember that specifically being like, damn, like at some of my lowest points, just being like, damn, I've, I've, feel that like and i didn't have the words for it like i didn't yeah. and even as someone who like thinks about words a lot and tries to and writes them and tries to do that for other people like i am still that person that like when i when i feel i hear something like that and it just describes an experience better than i can mm-hmm. you know to me describes my experience to me better than i can to myself that's such a that's such a special like intimate beautiful thing yeah. to me it's and it's, from it someone is, that i'm assuming you hadn't met up yeah, to that I've, point, no, like I've some guy that, met. that no, that's yeah. Matt Berninger from from the National. Yeah. I've still never met him. Yeah, and someone that you don't know that's just like <laughs> feeding your experiences back to you. Yeah, like, and you also watching? he's like a forty. He's like a late forties white dude, yeah. you know. And if you put the two of us in a room together, you know what I'm saying, and you just look at us like say we're on like a uh, what is it like a police lineup or something like that, and it's just the yeah. two of us standing next to each other, and you're like these two dudes have nothing in common. You know, they've they've never met each other. Yeah. These people don't know anything about each other, but that's not true. That lyric and that like his ability to distill his, that experience and give it to me, you know what I'm saying? In a, in a way that is tangible to me that like realizes something that I didn't even know about myself that I wanted to realize is beautiful. And that, and part of that, like that cycle, that, that A to B, that connection, I see myself as the B and then my fans are kind of the C it's now, it now be kind of, kind of becomes incumbent upon you 
to pass that on, to continue mm-hmm. doing that, you know? <laughs> and in a sense, to me, that like relieves the whole pressure thing. So that, so, so when someone is asking, uh, does that make you nervous? Does that make you feel a lot of pressure on stage? Does that make you feel a certain way? It's almost implying like you should feel a, a certain way about that. And for me, that comes from all the pressure and all the stuff that we can put on ourselves to be as good as those, all that comparison, comparison being the thief of joy, the whole thing. Yeah. <clears throat> and if you, I, I believe if you see it as like, I'm just part of a continuum, I'm just part of, I'm just doing my part to contribute to the canon in a responsible sort of thoughtful way to give other people that same moment that I get to have mm-hmm. with Matt Berninger or Fleet Foxes or Sufjan Stevens or Ray LaMontagne or Coheed and Cambria or Circus Survive or whoever, the whole myriad of, of artists who have affected me in that way, yeah. creating experiences and like kind of codifying experiences for me. So to come back around and uh, answer the, the original question, when I am on stage and when I see somebody, uh, sing a lyric back and see them sing like the heart of it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Or when I, I see like a Twitter comment, like Arlamar's frustrated. This is how I feel. And like, I didn't even know I felt that way. Or like a saying? Drake Insta caption, but it's oh, like, Oh, yeah. it's like, that's, oh, me. that's oh, my yeah. lyric. That's oh, yeah. My, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, facts. that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. I'm having trouble seeing you for yeah. what you do <laughs> has been under like many a selfie, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. With the dog filter and the whole thing. There you go. But it, as as like goofy and millennial as that sounds, it's meaningful to people. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's helping people feel seen and experienced and like they feel tangible through that. Yeah. You know? And I think that's the really cool part about it. And to see that happen and to now to multiply that by however many people is in the crowd is <laughs> definitely even doper. But like, you know, I, I feel like I'm a part of the experience as much as they are. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I, I, go to no, concerts, yeah. so I like being, in I shows. think you mentioned it before in other interviews, you talk about being a conduit for the moment and taking the, the Ooh, pressure off. Shout out to you. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but no, definitely, uh, definitely. I believe that I could see it taking the pressure off. Cause you have so many people there, but if you're, it's not about you, when if you're, you're, you're putting the you. emphasis on the people that yeah. are, that are watching you, it's almost like okay, I'm here for you. I'm trying to like translate the moment for you to experience, like create this moment on stage. Because no one's no one's showing up to the show and being like, I hope this dude fucking blows it. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yo, yo, wow, what, wow, what you just said takes me back to 11th grade, and I'll tell you why. I had a teacher named Rod Kaiser. Shout out to Rod Kaiser. He was um, my keyboard teacher, my first music theory teacher ever, and like really helped me with like all this like depression and, and anxiety and like all this like identity mm-hmm. stuff I went through in high school. And he said one thing to me that I've never forgotten. He said, no one comes to a show to see you fail. No one so comes true. to a show to see yeah. you fail. And it's so funny you said that. Cause that's, that's like, see, look at that, that common experience. He was like a 60 something year old white dude yeah. that you've never met. Isn't that wild? Yeah. <laughs> like, and crazy. I'm not bullshitting right now. Like for y'all in podcast land who are like, Oh, they playing that dog. We yeah. did not talk about <laughs> Didn't that. talk about like, this. That's the thing. Again, it's all improv. Uh, but yeah, shout out to Rod Kaiser because, and it, that, that has never left me. No one comes to a show to see you fail. And uh, what I think he meant by that is like, people come to shows because they want to be elevated. They want this thing. They want that like, oh man, I wish I could de- uh, describe it. But at least my reason for going to shows is because I would like to, I would like to have that like, 
out of body experience with the music, you know, and yeah, like that, that flow state amplify. Ooh, flow state. That's it. Shout out to Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> but just I want to I want to feel that, and I and I feel like it's our responsibility as people who perform to give that back to people. Yeah, damn, you're blowing my mind no, off. I was going right to say now, even yeah. even uh, <laughs> even at the podcast level, I'm you know yeah. I'm not doing this in front of a lot of people. Sometimes depending on where I am, there will be a lot of people in the room. But some of the but a big way that I get rid of the fear that I feel before an interview is that, yeah. you know, it's, no one's going through the podcast and listening to this and being like, oh, like, I'm going to count how many times this dude stutters or how many voice Sucks. cracks the student tweet. I'm going to like tweet this back. Or an artist Ooh. is like rolling up to the venue, like being like, oh, like, I fucking hate this dude's interview. It's like, let me sit, let me sit, let me sit down with him. Let me give him an hour of my time to tell him how much I I hate to tell him how huge of an asshole he is. Jesus. But like, no, like sports? seriously. Seriously? Like, yeah, even in, even in, <laughs> even in sports, like the the realization that if people vibe with your your art or your performance ability in sports or just anything that you create that they want to see you do well. And that takes definitely takes a lot of pressure off. So yeah, uh, the, the optimist in me definitely believes that. Yeah. <laughs> so Chris, your manager. Yeah. You've known him since you were 16. Okay, quick question. Can you read his last name? Do you have it? I, I actually don't have it. Oh. You can say his last name though. Shout out. Martin Yago. Yeah. Chris Martin Yago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys have known each other for a long time. Yeah. And I saw you guys have driven up and down the coast booking shows, yeah. Ford Focus, No AC, yeah. sleeping in parking lots and shit. <laughs> and that stood out to me because the music industry Yo. does a great job this has turned into an up. auto this has turned into a biography yeah we're, we're gonna write <laughs> a book this. uh but the music industry does a really good job at not mm. showing the work that yes. people put in beforehand two chain said it took me 10 years to become an overnight become, success yeah. yes sir. and but it's so true because it's like once you make it then your your backstory is irrelevant like for the industry it's almost it's like they they just wipe that slate clean. It's like nope, like this guy arrived, like he got here yesterday, and he will continue to be. There was no clean, uh, like titty boy before two J, like yeah. all, all that all that stuff. Um, yo, yo, that reminds me. I don't know what interview it was, but it was definitely on like Fox News or something. They were there was a commentator, was a pundit that was asking about weed, yeah. and she read some of his lyrics back to him, and in like an attempt kind of to like shame him, yeah. And he was like, true. <laughs> Like, like not feeling me. an ounce of shame. That's me. Yeah, yeah that's, that's my life. I'm just being honest. Could you talk a little bit about those stages, you know, mm. before you kind of felt like you arrived or caught people's attention when you were just hustling, you know, with, with your manager who yeah. you said it at some points had believed in you before you even believed in yourself Absolutely. and uh, mm -hmm. just like all, all the things that go in behind the scenes that people outside may not be aware of? Yeah, I mean... I, I think it would be easy to like to sit and just be beleaguered and, and kind of uh, give the audience, I guess, a sense that it's all just been this like knockdown drag out, like everything is awful, you know, kind of thing. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely been hard. Like, you know, sleeping on floors and doing all the stuff that you described, like mm -hmm. that stuff is all real. And we did do all that stuff, but we did it because we wanted to, and we did it because we felt like it was important to do so. We did it because we felt like that was our best contribution. You know what I'm saying? And you're right. Chris believed in this before I did. And uh, 
and that was, you know, this it's, it's a, there's a myriad of reasons why, you know, people like me, I guess, who especially who like look like me and sound like me generally don't make it from where I'm from. You know what I'm saying? And also he and I's friendship is kind of, I guess, unexpected in some ways. And he himself, he was in bands and thought he was going to like, you know, be this superstar and do the thing himself. You know, he's mm-hmm. a superstar what he does now, yeah. <laughs> at least for me. Of course. Because <laughs> I don't have to do it. <laughs> but um, I think it's more productive to talk about the idea that we just have been sticking it out. Like we think this is what we should do. And if it's if it's a thing that continues growing, awesome. You know what I'm saying? Amazing. But we're very grateful, I think, for what we got, you know what I'm saying? And what we worked for and, mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, the potential that I, I believe that all of this has the potential to like, kind of do some good, <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Again, to provide those experiences that I've been provided to kind of be able to contribute to the canon. So, yeah, man, I don't want to talk about all the sad shit. You know what I'm we saying? don't have to talk about sad shit. <laughs> no, nah, baby, no, we just talk about the real, you know. Yeah. But I just, I think, I think also I'm forgetting the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm forgetting uh, the question too. Uh, it was kind of, I didn't even ask a question. I just said describing some of the, oh, talk the things about that, uh, yeah, which yeah. You've, you've already done. And if you feel like that's productive, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And start singing again. <laughs> like the, the, the tone segue, of that. Every, every segue, that. every segue will be a. It will be <laughs> like the tone. Like there's like a star wipe. The more you know, you know. <clears throat> Only older folks, I think, look at that one. But yeah, I just I think it was good, and I think we it's it's definitely a, it was definitely a process that was like okay, this is like we're really serious about this <laughs> because booking the booking all the. Um, the shows ourselves and you know doing the floor sleeping thing driving in his ford focus and whatnot was arduous it definitely was part of part of these things are like a task you know and and like you were saying um the music industry is very good i believe and 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 i and i view the music industry as a sort of monolithic like we're the music industry uh," you know what i mean that's exactly what everyone sounds like i'm a suit i'm not give me a life uh i don't mean to turn (laughs) this into a yeah i don't mean to turn this into an asmr podcast or whatever (laughs) but yeah, that that stuff is definitely there and i do agree that it is it is they are they are very good at uh, making it, making you seem as if you were just like this polished, polished, primped and powdered thing when you were born. Yeah, like from the you know, start. If, you know, not like people didn't have to spend hours and hours and years and years and, and whatnot before they uh, achieve whatever they define as success. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, I mean, I don't think it's really, I don't think it's like a healthy for me, at least, to focus on that, I don't think it's healthy for me to think about that too much. I I, I think too much about <laughs> like myself and my problems and all that stuff. Anyway, yeah, I know. So I think the rest we, of I that is, do, yeah. yeah, the rest of that is is not productive. That's why I'm very lucky to have a, a dude like Chris who can kind of help navigate that, help me navigate that stuff. So, so what made you want to move beyond just the six strings of the acoustic mm. guitar? Because your sound has such an, an exploratory vibe with the the synths, and I know you 
taught yourself Ableton and other production softwares and yeah. kind of mix those two worlds together. And you are opening for Lewis the Child and not a lot of yeah, people would associate Lewis the Child with the R&B realm or alternative R&B if you want to put a label on it. Yeah, and do you don't have, and, but uh, the, those there are a lot of elements that you share with them and a lot of elements yeah. that you have explored. What made you want to step into the electronic realm and use that to kind of enhance the organic. Well, that's the thing. Ooh, I like that. Enhance the organic. Enhance the organic. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, again, this is, this is a question that I think I answer a lot. And I think, again, it has to do with like the genres and people seeing the mm-hmm. kind of sticker shock differences of things, like just kind of looking from the outside, <clears throat> but all that stuff is just expression. You know, they're just, different colors to paint with it's the same but you're still painting you've always been painting you know what i'm saying just because i've been using like browns and greens or whatever it doesn't mean that yellow and orange don't exist or i'm not aware of them you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. um and actually it was my boy uh jay cruz uh from this group called ethnic kids who introduced me to ableton they kind of started teaching me the ropes a little bit and when i was in school i went to fsu for music and music production and uh, commercial music was the major and we started like learning Cubase. We started doing little projects and stuff. They're messing with synths, messing with, messing with synthesis and mixing and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, I've always been involved and a bit under the hood. I like to kind of be hands-on with, with the creation process. But um, I mean, honestly, the reason I started playing acoustic, like I wanted to be in bands. I wanted to be in like the Mars Volta, <laughs> you yeah. know, when I was 13 and 14, I wanted to do stuff like that. I wanted to be Thomas Bridgen, <laughs> you yeah. feel me? Um, and originally I was almost a drummer, but um, that was all I could afford, you know? And Doug Seth, again, bringing him back up, he's my classical guitar teacher. Uh, I th- It was, I spent, I think it was 212 or $232 on a Yamaha CG 101 which was a classical and I had a guitar. I could practice for my classical guitar classes. I could also learn like Blink-182 songs and I could also write down and sing the stuff that I was feeling. So that was just kind of where it started. And that was, that was all I had available at the time. Mm -hmm. And as more, more resources become available, more opportunity came with it. And so we just started investing in those opportunities. People start to get something from these opportunities, or excuse me, people start to get something from the output of the results of those opportunities, we just keep doing it because it feels good and it feels natural. You know yeah. So to me, it was a lot less of a like, I mean, it definitely like, I'm not going to say her line and say like the, the, uh, the process of like selecting a name like R. Lamar was not say an arduous one. I still yeah. have the spreadsheets, <laughs> but um, it well, definitely- Spreadsheets are creative too. I'll tell you what, i tell you what. But um, part of the, I think that the main kind of impetus for it was like, you know, it just feels natural and this feels good. This mm-hmm. is what we're doing now. Okay, just keep doing it, you know? And so many people have responded to that, obviously. And you're on tour, you're waking up in different cities every single day. Yeah, it but, has not been bad. Yeah, <laughs> you, you also spend a lot of time disconnected from yeah. your audience. You know, you can be in hotel rooms or in airports and spending a lot of time alone, like we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Are there ways that you can kind of combat that disconnection to still feel like you're making music from a place Mm. of relativity like relating to other people's emotions because you've done it so well and the i feel like the touring process can kind of take away from that like you you almost feel like you're in a silo a little bit a lot of times that's a dope question it is a thing um 
and that this is that is a thing that a lot of artists uh have talked that I respect have, have talked about like a lot of the jazz cats and a lot of um I think it was Joni Mitchell that was talking about being in hotels a bunch and how even I guess in my experience, a lot of times uh, when you don't get like days off on the road or like some of our earlier touring experiences where you don't get days off. And so you see, and, and if you're lucky enough to kind of get to the point where you can buy hotels in every city and like do the thing, or maybe like go to eat or something in every city, um, you generally see like the drive there, the hotel check-in, the, the venue, because you're there at like load in or whatever, which is a couple hours before doors open. You see the venue a bunch and then you see the hotel, and then we repeat for the next city. If it's like mm-hmm. each each day, you're moving to a new city. <clears throat> so, yeah, that stuff does get difficult. But I think I'm lucky to be uh, in this time now where we just have the internet. And we can talk to people. Like one of my favorite things to do is that the questions thing on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I love doing that. You know, like the live questioning with the, your yeah. Ask me a question, anything. Oh yeah, you know? like the, posting it in the story. Yeah, posting okay, in the story yeah, because people dope. get to respond to that, and they and they're literally like you're talking to me. Like yeah, it's not some intern like no one else or something. Is running my social no, media, I run yeah. my, I run all my social media. You know, so it's it's cool because I feel like I can I can talk to them when I want. Say I have a layover or something for four hours. Say we haven't. I did that. I think it was the first drive up to uh, Canada. It was like an eight hour drive, something like that, and I just was like. Yo, gonna be in the car driving all day. Hit me up. Ask me questions. Like, let's talk. Let's connect. You know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I feel like, <laughs> especially because the, the questions are getting like more and more pointed. Like, yeah. <laughs> and rather than like, what TV shows do you like? It's like, what anime do you like? And then it yeah. gets to like, what's your favorite character from My Hero Academia? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They get more and more specific. So I feel like they they are the people who are listening are learning who I am and like learning the stuff that I like and learning the real, just like regular dude stuff about me that I do want to talk about video games a bunch. And I do want to talk about. Yeah. Like the intricate details and things. Um, But then at the same time, I like that it coexists with the person who is also the performer that's, that's up on stage. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I think that's cool. That like kind of pedestrian, but not sort of juxtaposition to me is interesting. I, I think that's cool. I think I would hope that it inspires other people to be like, oh, I can just be a regular, I can just be who I am, but also be a performer mm-hmm. or be somebody who says something that could mean something to somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would hope that that's inspiring. It, no, it, it definitely is. And a lot of that feeds off of empathy, which you've also yeah. been vocal about and how it can be undertaught in today's society yeah it it is definitely undertaught and as i was getting ready for this interview i was also listening to a podcast on the scientific connection between empathy and literacy which i thought was Mm. very interesting so myanmar actually has the highest rate of literacy in the world it's Mm. about 90 percent of people can read there and they're also the most empathetic and they measure that by how much you give to other people, whether it be like to charity or um, just through surveys, like your own personal possessions or the amount of time you spend with people um, just doing nice things for them or giving to people that you don't cool. know. And there's this huge connection. And, and it's not just uh, with me and Mark because, you know, correlation doesn't always equal causation, yeah, but there's like a slight economics. Yeah, term. Economics, What's yeah. Up? <laughs> but there's, there's been a relationship with uh, literacy and uh, people's ability to empathize. So I would be very curious to see 
a study conducted like that with in music and like yeah. people that listen to music or a certain type of music or just like that it's a daily part of their lives because it does force you like reading you you have to mm-hmm. get inside someone else's mind and you yeah. have to you know like put on this a hat this person's experience and it makes you feel things that you wouldn't have otherwise felt like and it takes longer with a book and in a song it's like three minutes and you're like fuck like i wasn't planning on <laughs> feeling this there. today but uh, I now there. i am like i wasn't planning <laughs> on texting my ex today but like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> but, uh, oh, no. To my man's extreme. back no, oh yeah, no exactly. flashback to me listening to sad machine last year at south by southwest oh my god Porter robinson sad machine and i'm just walking through austin and i'm like why am i crying what, yeah, what just happened? no exactly <laughs> like i don't know like, what just happened like shit like that i was and I, I have no idea if there's any sort of scientific correlation but i'd be interested i mean they've definitely seen i've definitely seen studies where they uh where uh supposed genres are uh supposedly like indicative of personality types and 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 subsets so i'm sure there's there's got to be some correlation but i I wouldn't wonder i I would wonder if 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 well one i would wonder what the sample size is for that yeah (laughs) and two what artists fall under what genres really because that's always up to debate if you get on reddit ever (laughs) or twitter ever yeah but that's a that's a that's an interesting correlation. Wow, that's how you gotta hit with that podcast, B. Exactly. And uh, if if that data ever does come out, you'll hear like uh, like churches or people trying to like get money for donations, just like blasting that specific music. And like, I'm gonna try to <laughs> I'm gonna try to like entice the Probably. yeah. <laughs> They're like Kodak Black is the most yeah. Like it's okay. All right, let's get it. You know, right here here we go, Cardi B. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, savage. I'm like hustle yeah. so my chicken <laughs> in church. I have no idea until that we uh, do the study. <laughs> that would be amazing. That'd be hilarious. Yo, turn up church. Let's get uh, you walking in there playing drowning. Dina, Dina, drowning. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Just some, some some lady playing like an uh, acoustic version dun, on the piano. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. I I'm gonna need to recreate that or decide. someone needs to someone needs to recreate that not me because my voice that. obviously yeah you can so. if you want um so i wanted to end off mm-hmm. with what are some of the biggest realizations or most influential conversations you've had with yourself in the shower recently because i was preparing mm-hmm. for this interview yeah and i was thinking of questions like in the shower and i'm like I do a lot of my thinking I do in this well. space and I have yeah. conversations in my head and I think they're going to go terribly even before I even have them <laughs> with the other person. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to talk about this because it didn't go well in the shower, but like, it's definitely a very powerful <laughs> place for me. So I was just wondering if, if you've had any recent like shower moments where you're like, yeah, fuck. Like, that's actually, that's a great subreddit too, is our shower thoughts. Shower really thoughts. Funny. Yeah. But it's funny, like you didn't really talk that much. We got a third guy here with a microphone as well. Y'all can't see it, but he didn't, he didn't talk like really all. No. He just well, he uh, told me I'm not allowed to. Oh, yeah, no, no, he's not allowed to dude, talk. Dude, you can, no, you can talk. He, but the only pops in, like, in interviews. It's only there for the laugh track. Yeah. <laughs> when you say stuff like it didn't work out in the show. I insert, I insert, <laughs> I insert his laughs when I tell shitty jokes and it just, <laughs> just deadpan silence. And then it's just him going like, <laughs> he's there for the sample. <laughs> yeah, nervous laugh. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think. Uh, recently a thing I was thinking about is just like because you know there's certain there's just certain things on tour like um, and this may be this may be a thing that um, people in the audience don't know but I remember hearing Nash on this podcast right and mm-hmm. he was kind of talking about yeah. it and actually we played a show together in Korea 
oh, no last way. year, which was wild. And, and I met him there. And this was uh, actually one of the things we talked about was like the thing, the stuff that people see on stage is like 10, 15% of tour. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like the a tiny slice. Being, you know, the rest of us being in the car, rest of us mm-hmm. doing all that, all that stuff, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and I only say that to introduce the idea that like, stuff gets stressful and that stuff can be hard and that stuff can be like a drag thinking about your health thinking about your mental health thinking about the people that you're on tour with trying to check in and make sure everybody else is doing is, is all right because mm-hmm. everybody else is working just as much as you are like you know like we're lucky enough now to like be at a point where for instance me and chris used to like uh tour manage and like tm everything and do it ourselves <laughs> and that's hard you're like advancing you're checking in with the venue you're making sure the writer's taking care of you're making sure you got buyouts blah 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 blah, blah. take keeping track of names keeping track of all this stuff and we had to do all that stuff while <laughs> i still have to you know know all the lyrics be rehearsed be rested be ready to be on stage mm-hmm. blah, blah blah um and now we don't have to do that kind of stuff now we have we uh, are at a point where we can like hire our friends to to work and and and, and come with us and whatnot so you know you're checking in and make sure everybody's all right but just just stuff like that when I'm in, in modes and I get like mad or I get like anxious or I get like aggravated because I can get aggravated about stuff because I feel like I'm a hands-on person and I really try to be involved in everything. Sometimes you got to remember it's not about you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Even though, yeah, you're the person on stage, but you know, I'm not the one anymore that, that packs the car after every show as much, but the reason everybody else is packing the reason, uh, everybody else is packing the car because is because they know it's part of my job to go and meet the people who come to the show mm-hmm. and like go and spend time with them and do the, do that. Or like, I'm not the person advancing the venues. You know what I'm saying? I'm not the person that generally puts my stuff on stage sometimes anymore, you know, <clears throat> but it's just because all of that support is what allows me to do my job better and to grow and do the whole thing. And this is just in a, like a touring context. Yeah. There's, there's so many other contexts where, you know, it's like, team stuff and you can think about the it's not about me in the team context and you can also think about that that relates back to the continuum thing i was talking about about being on stage and being like it's not all about me yeah i'm up there like kind of helping to create the moment but the moment is only created if it if 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 it was all about me then i would just go to rehearsal you know what i'm saying i would just perform in rehearsal yeah so it's like i feel like i'm part of the moment and the audience feels like they're part of it and it kind of meets somewhere in the middle like that like there's like this invisible electricity that just meets in the middle of Mm -hmm. us you know so yeah i try to think about that a decent amount because if I get all bitchy and whatnot, then everything else just goes badly for me and for everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, I mean, yeah, has everyone, everyone, has, anyway. everyone has those moments. Those yeah. Everybody's moments, human, so. but I'm definitely, definitely trying to make we're, sure we're it's all not human. about me. Yeah. Yeah. I swear we're human. Turn up. <laughs> um, but yeah, shout out uh, Reddit and Nash for the, the shower thoughts. And yeah. uh, <laughs> we'll have to make a, uh, just a catalog of shout outs for this podcast. This <laughs> is this definitely one. breaking the record for shout outs, which I have no problem with. I there you go. Shout you outs. Go. Cause I just, I'm waiting for the moment of someone listening to it and they're like, Oh my God, like that's me. So I hope somebody, pretty cool. I hope somebody hits me on Twitter and they're like, you know, I went to IMG bro. What's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, definitely DM, DM us or tweet us or something. If you, if you are experiencing that moment, I'm talking to you right now. If you're being <laughs> shout out, in your head, capture the moment, yeah. On your, your Bluetooth your speaker, <laughs> yeah. Just pick a random name and say it right now. Yeah, thanks, John. Shout me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, R. Lamar, thank you for coming through to our thanks space. Thanks for I appreciate us. it. Appreciate and it. Thank you. Good luck on the rest of the tour. Thanks. And thank you very much. This is awesome. And last thing I'll say is, I think it's very cool. A bunch of dudes sitting in a room 
talking about mental health and empathy and uh, stuff that I think is important that we don't talk about enough in the arts and in the world. So shout out to y'all. Of course. Thank you. We're out. Thank you for tuning into this episode with R. Lamar. If you haven't already, you need to go check out his music right now. Seriously, right now. What are you doing? Go listen to R. Lamar. I'm done. See ya.